This is One in 59, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. One in 59 is a weekly show devoted to topics related to autism spectrum disorder. Good morning and welcome to One in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, Chief Development Officer at Anderson Center for Autism. And this morning I'm talking with Mark Child, who's the Executive Director of Sales and Marketing for RoboKind. Mark, good morning. Good morning, Eliza. So I'm really happy to have you on the show. You know, robots and autism, I think... In, in many years past, decades past, probably did not have a very positive connotation. I'm thinking of, you know, some of the uh, stereotypes and myths about uh, people with autism sort of behaving or, or seeming to be robotic in nature and not showing emotion. Thankfully, I think we've come a long way. And, and we're going to talk today about uh, your company, which I think along with some others uh, are doing some really innovative work in terms of using what we the amazing stuff. Um, I'm, it's not really stuff. The, the amazing uh, uh, work and, and uh, accomplishment, accomplishments of the, the people in robotics and where robots are today in terms of um, working and, and helping and supporting individuals with autism, in fact, to do just the opposite, to bring out more social skills and communication development. So I'm excited about our conversation. I'd love to have you start just by giving a little background about yourself and then tell us about the, the, uh, the company. Great. Happy to, Eliza. Thank you. So I've been in educational technology for a good portion of my career in sales and marketing and was approached um, by the folks at RoboKind about three years ago, about the time that um, they were beginning to get some some traction, some foothold with uh, Milo the robot and and our curriculum, and uh, was thrilled to death. I have a grandson with autism, and so this is very personal for me. And to be able to think about my little grandson and what the future might hold for him uh, and and looking at what Robokind was trying to do with engagement with a robot and then a curriculum of, of social skills and communication skills really resonated in my heart. Um, and since I've been involved with the company, like I said, about three years now, uh, I've been able to see some amazing progress uh, in those kids who really otherwise would be unable to interact with their environment uh, to a large degree um, and are seeing some progress with, with robotics. That's exciting, and I and I appreciate you sharing your personal connection. I find that more often than not, when I'm talking to folks on this on this show. There are often, not always, but there often is a personal connection. So I would, uh, I would understand that this has a special and even more special meaning for you. So when you said that you were approached by Robokind just when they were sort of getting a foothold with Milo, tell us a little bit about Milo and Milo's history. Was it, was the idea and the concept always to work with children with autism or did it develop, did it kind of move in that, in that, into that direction after it was already in existence? That's a good question. Um, it kind of is the the first scenario you mentioned. It's always been autism. Now, the founders of the company have a very direct connection, not only with autism, but also with robotics. One of the, the, the founders, a father and a son team, uh, had been working in the field of autism and robotics uh, very early on. This is going back to about 2011 when the company was formed. And they were approached by Dr. Pamela Rollins, who is very well recognized at the University of Texas. She's done a ton of research in the autism field and written lots of curricula and texts. And 
and and she's a Harvard trained speech language pathologist and and she approached our founders and said, you know, kids on the spectrum in general have a real hard time engaging with humans. Mm-hmm. But I'll bet they would engage with a robot. And she had seen a lot of the research that's been done over the years, like you mentioned earlier, a lot of research over the years about robotics and autism. And so uh, our, our founders built her a robot that she took into the Callier Center for Communication Disorders that she manages there at the University of Texas in Dallas. And she started doing some research with kids on the spectrum and tracking eye movement and engagement. And she they did some clinical tests where they would uh, bring in kids first with a, a live therapist. Uh, and, and again, track their engagement, and then uh, introduce Milo, the robot, and track engagement. And what they discovered was phenomenal. I mean, when they, they found that engagement with a life therapist was at about 3% of the time at most. And once they introduced a, a robot, um, the Milo, uh, engagement was about 87% and higher. Uh, and so this sort of began the journey. This begs the question, well, if we get engagement like this with kids on the spectrum, uh, with a robot, then what should we teach? How could we teach it? And what's the relationship between Milo and the curriculum and the kids? And and the goals, obviously, of uh, social uh, understanding, social skills, communication skills, emotional understanding, self-regulation, all those were the goals. And so they spent, uh, with Dr. Rollins' help and her staff and, and other researchers and practitioners around the country, they spent probably about four years uh, before introducing the first uh, Milo Plus curriculum into any therapy center or, or school, and that's what we see today now. Okay, that, that's a lot of information. All of which is putting a huge smile on my face. First of all, I mean, it's like a, it's like it's got to be a researcher's dream to see numbers like that. I mean, you can't really argue with the difference between three percent engagement and eighty-seven and higher percent engagement. You know, and I think so. I can. I, I, I'm I'm getting excited myself just about the fact that that must have been one of those moments where you go, oh my. Goodness, the you know the the implications both for research and hopefully practical application must be enormous, and that's a that's a very positive way to start off on a project. So before we get to sort of where where Milo is now and and what's happening, you you mentioned that the first one of the first questions after recognizing that that difference between engagement um, with a live therapist and engagement with Milo was so significant. One of the first questions is okay. What do we teach? So, um, you know, there's an expectation, obviously, especially now that children with autism are taught everything. And that in a, in, a, in a school environment, whether it's a special education classroom or even in a highly specialized classroom, for instance, the ones at, at Anderson Center, there is an expectation that all subjects are taught and, and it, you know, there's exposure to everything. So what do you know what the thought process was about choosing certain areas to, to, to begin with Milo? Yeah, somewhat, and, and uh, I'll tell you what I know, what I do know, and that is the goal initially was, like I mentioned, uh, centered mainly around social skills, communication skills, self-regulation especially, mm-hmm. with, with not a thought towards academics. Okay. Be- because Dr. Rollins and her staff, I think correctly so, understood that if you can get a child to self-regulate, first of all, so that they're not having meltdowns in a classroom that would interrupt the learning process for them, but as well the rest of the class. Uh, that alone can be life-changing. But then also if they can uh, socially interact more, uh, obviously the human-to-human interaction is the goal. The generalization of these social skills is the goal. 
so they focus definitely on social skills, communication skills, self-regulation, and emotional understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we what we found since then is that, uh, in fact, I was talking to a, a therapist, uh, Linda Center in South Carolina, and she said we saw mastery of social skills and communication skills in academics after they'd been using Milo for a few weeks. And I, I said, well, we but we don't teach academics. She, she said, no. But most of these kids are not dumb kids. They are, many of them have an above-average intelligence. Yep. And the, because of the way their brains work, they could not manage all the input coming into their brains. And suddenly now they can. They can recognize emotions. They can self-regulate. They can communicate where they couldn't before. So we've, we've stayed focused in those areas of social skills and, and self-regulation. And I think it's uh, rightly so. Yeah, it sounds sounds appropriate. It sounds like it makes a lot of sense. It, it's almost like um, like a window opens. Right, exactly. And mm-hmm. you know where there used to be sort of a, an, an impermeable wall. So that's that's really exciting. And what what great feedback that you're hearing from um, from that educator. That's very cool. Let me ask you can you can you describe Milo to us a little bit? I know um, we'll share some you know places to get more information at the end of the interview. But I, I did I did see some videos. Um, tell us about Milo. <laughs> Milo is amazing. Um, he stands about two feet tall, mm-hmm. um, and he is uh, facially expressive, so he's not uh, like some of the other robots that you've seen that are very much um, not humanoid. Uh, Milo is a humanoid robot. He is facially expressive. He has, uh, uh, how do I describe the way he looks? He looks kind of like a, a video game character or a cartoon character superhero character-ish, and that's by design. Mm-hmm. Um, we we know that uh, most kids on the spectrum are very, like you mentioned earlier, fascinated by technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're very good at technology, and, and Milo is designed to uh, you know provide that engagement with a, someone who looks very humanoid still, but he is obviously a robot, obviously technology. Mm-hmm. And and uh, we did a lot of uh, focus groups to bring people in to, to get their reactions. And what we found, we did a combination of neurotypical parents and teachers as well as children. Uh, and we found oftentimes the things that were off-putting to us neurotypicals were <laughs> engaging to those kids who were on the spectrum. Uh, and so we tried very intentionally to make sure that Milo was engaging for those kids who were going to be getting, the, hopefully, the biggest impact out of him. Makes a lot of sense. Can you give us an example, just one example of something that you purposely did or the developers purposely did after that market, after that research was done? Like, was it something about the tone of voice? Does does Milo speak? He does. Yeah, good point. Uh, He does speak. uh, And so his face moves. Uh, He's got about seven motors in his face so that his eyebrows move, his mouth moves, uh, he smiles, he frowns. Uh, and so it is very humanoid in that fashion. But the challenge for most kids on the spectrum, like I said earlier, is that they, they have a real hard time engaging with humans. And much of that is because it's really so hard to decipher what's happening on a human face. Yeah. There's just so many things going on. Uh, Milo has a limited set of expressions. He has about nine expressions that he can show. Uh, but it's still fairly limited as opposed to your face and my face. And, and as he teaches uh, facial expressions, he kind of breaks it down so it's easy for the child to understand what the mouth is doing very specifically or what the eyebrows are doing uh, very specifically. We have to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to go into this in much greater detail. How does Milo kind of explain this? What you know, And even beyond that, mm-hmm. how, does a teacher 
program it to do certain things. I'm 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 kind of all over the place because I'm very excited. But we have to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll jump right back into this. This is one in fifty nine, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host Eliza Bozenski, and we'll be right back. Although some people with autism have difficulty vocalizing their feelings, here at Anderson Center for Autism, their smiles speak volumes. Whether students are developing job skills, learning to communicate, volunteering in the community, expressing themselves through art and music, or building friendships, there are moments every day here when breakthroughs are made and joy is palpable. Do you want to generate more smiles for the one you love with autism? Learn more online at andersoncenterforautism.org. That's andersoncenterforautism.org. Welcome back to 1 in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and this morning I'm talking with Mark Child from RoboKind. Um, Mark, I, I'm not going to take up any more of your time. Right before we broke, you were talking about Milo's nine facial expressions, and I'd love for you to continue explaining how he works and you know what the um, how 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 educators might be able to customize what he's working on with a certain child. So just keep going. Yeah. Well, and his speech is a little slower. So he speaks at about uh, 80% of standard speed, which really helps the child to process and, and comprehend what Milo's saying. But to kind of give you uh, the, an idea of how things are connected. So Milo provides the engagement, uh, the teacher and the child. So you have the, the, three, the three people in the room, Milo, the teacher, and the child. The teacher has a tablet. The child has a tablet. They're all connected via Wi-Fi. Um, and so the teacher ahead of time will have decided, based on IEP goals, for example, for this particular child, um, these are the things that we know we, not, we want to work on. These are our goals for this boy, for instance. And so today's lesson maybe would be on greeting, for example. Today we need to learn about greeting. And there's a, there are about 140 lessons in the curriculum, and there's a whole section on greeting. So uh, the teacher would log in on her iPad uh, and select which classroom she's in, uh, her name as a teacher, and which student she's working with, and then she would select from the curriculum on the iPad the lesson that she's going to give, for example, Introduction to Greetings. Milo introduces the topic and says, today we're going to learn about greetings. And, and on his chest screen, he has a, a little chest screen on his chest where he shows flashcards or very simplified icons that are a visual support for the things that Milo says. So he might say, um, when you greet someone, you look, and you'd see a couple of eyeballs show up on the chest screen to support the, the verbalization that he's making. Okay. Well, so, so Milo delivers uh, some concepts, and then he says, let's look at your iPad, and the child will see some examples of other kids in different situations greeting each other. And these are very, very short, very simple video representations of vignettes um, and so the child might see maybe three vignettes, uh, different uh, kids, different uh, situations, and then Milo would say, let's look at another of my friend and see if they can do it right, and the child will leave something out. Maybe he walks into the room, instead of looking at the teacher, he looks at the floor, he still smiles, he says hi, but he doesn't look. Um, and so now the, Milo will ask the student, what did he not do? And so the student has to respond to questions. Mm. So throughout this particular lesson, we're gathering data about the child's responses to these questions. How long does it take him to answer the questions? Is he answering correctly? 
so the teacher can then at the end of the lesson can see is he demonstrating mastery on these topics. It's not just observationally, but it's also um, looking at the data that's being collected to see if, if the child is, is demonstrating progress. So that's, that's kind of the way the lessons are structured. There are yeah. about 140 lessons. There are about 1,500 of these little video icons and about uh, visual icons and about 1,700 of these video vignettes. Thank you. And one of the things that stands out about what you just said towards the end is, is the combination of instruction and data collection. Um, I know because right. we, we have 24 classrooms at Anderson with a, a range of... Uh, usually six students per classroom with one teacher and a, and a various number of, of teacher aides, depending on the needs of the, of the students. And um, mm-hmm. we have smart boards. We do not have Milo's. We do not have robots, but we do have smart <laughs> boards. But one of the things that is a constant source of um, challenge, it, it's getting better, but being able to effectively instruct and support and and respond um, you know, to, to emerging needs, but also collect accurate mm-hmm data is is a challenge right. so i like the fact that it's sort of it's happening at the same time um and then the teacher is is given the opportunity to review that data when that's what they can focus on specifically um observation is also great it sounds to me also that this allows maybe correct me if i'm wrong but does it allow for data be to be collected and the teacher doesn't have to be doing that, so the teacher is observing. So then you get kind of both. That's correct. That's really cool. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And, and that model is critical because uh, we, you know, oftentimes I'll get a call from a parent that says, I found you on the Internet. I have a son with autism. I've been searching for some kind of solution, and can I buy one? And we'll often say, we'll always say, let's let's talk to your therapist or to your teacher at your school. Because mm-hmm. uh, that way we have somebody trained who understands autism, understands ABA, mm-hmm. uh, and can really be there to facilitate the learning in a very effective way and to treat multiple kids, not just one child. Absolutely. So on that note, let's talk sincere sales and, and marketing, right? So let's, uh, mm-hmm. let's talk about, <laughs> about how this all works. How many Milos are in existence right now? Ooh, good question. I would bet there are probably around a thousand or more that are sprinkled around the world. Okay, around the world, so not just in the United States. Mm-hmm. Okay, and no. In fact, I spent a lot of time in Canada, uh, and we've got robots in Asia, Australia, Europe. Yeah, that's very cool. So Milo speaks various languages. Uh, currently, says that, uh, no. I wish he did. Currently, we're working <laughs> Maybe that's on next. that. <laughs> yeah, that that's next. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a challenge with seventeen hundred videos to be able to produce them in multiple languages. Yes. But we're working on it. That would be. I mean, that would be exciting. But okay, so just to be clear, so right now Milo speaks English, and if he's located in a classroom setting in another country, um, the understanding is that the the students are learning in English. That's correct. Okay, so I also would think, and maybe you're working on this too, but I. Um, one of the interesting things from an international perspective, which I don't have a ton of information on, but I just know anecdotally, is that, you know, in various countries, facial expressions can mean different things. And, uh-huh. and some, uh, some cultures sort of are more, I think, expressive in different ways and less expressive than in others. Um, so I, I would think that that also presents both a, a unique challenge, but also a really exciting opportunity um, in the field of robotics um, for, you, for your team as you're expanding, um, just to think about the cultural components, right? Because you want the students to be learning things that are practical in their, where they live. 
Right. No, you're exactly right. And one of the big things that we're adding to our curriculum, it's a constantly expanding curriculum. One thing we'll, we'll be releasing later on this year is um, a, a, a module for some of the older kids in life skills, uh, oh, which cool. is really, really critically important. You know, Absolutely. kids transition out of school. Yeah. 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 There have to be practical implications. It's uh, You mentioned ABA before. So a big part of applied mm-hmm. behavior analysis is obviously instructional. But one of the things that people sometimes forget or don't realize is, is necessary. Um, and a part of applied behavior analysis is generalization. The, the, the means right. by which somebody learns not just the skill, but how to, how to utilize that skill effectively when they're not working with Milo. And even when they're not in that classroom, when they're at home, when they're in their community. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, this is this is just there's so much to discuss here and we're going to run out of time in a few minutes. But um, so how, so again, going back to there are about a thousand, at least a thousand throughout the world. Um, are, are all of them or the vast majority of them in classroom settings? The vast majority are. Mm-hmm. Um, we have quite a few that are in therapy centers, uh, but most are in school settings. Okay, and are these typically um, general education schools, like like a like a public elementary school in the United States, or or and or um, would would you see or have you seen a Milo come to a classroom that might be at a place like Anderson Center, which is a considered in New York State to be a restrictive environment with very few students mm-hmm. in a classroom, and uh, we're serving some of the most challenged individuals with with autism. Do you is it is it yeah. a mix? It is a mix. I, I would guess the majority are in classroom settings, but uh, I know there's a center in South Carolina that I mentioned a, a minute ago. The, mm-hmm. There's one here in Utah that is strictly, it was, it's actually a charter school. It was developed by parents who were frustrated they weren't getting the kinds of therapies that they were hoping for, and so they started a charter school just for kids with autism. But the majority would be in school settings, and it's kind of interesting because uh, that really runs the gamut as far as whether they're inclusive settings or pullouts or, uh, you know, whatever. But the majority would be in schools. Okay. All right. This is really good information. And, and all right, we've got about two more minutes. So where do people go for more information about Milo and about RoboKind? You have a website, I assume. We do. It's Robots for Autism, the number four, robotsforautism.com. And there's a tremendous amount of information there. And like you said earlier, we have a lot of videos from not only the researchers yeah. involved, but also practitioners and, and folks. Uh, you mentioned a minute ago generalization. I was uh, working with several districts in Canada, and I asked several of their superintendents just to give me their overall impressions after using the product for a year. And every one of them mentioned generalization. They said, we're seeing uh, an increase in human-to-human interaction and a demonstration of these behaviors uh, in the classroom and uh, on the playground. The parents are telling us at home. That's one big thing that we're seeing because we're able to collect data. Now we can provide some feedback to parents that they really haven't had before, and they're pretty excited to see that as well. That's fantastic news. I'm, I'm really excited to hear what you're doing. I promised you before we started that I would have to mention the fact that if you're hearing from families that at home they're seeing improvements and siblings may be aware that their brother or sister is working with Milo in the classroom, you may have to think about, you know, how to get more, more Milos or Milo siblings into people's homes because raising two kids, I know that um, one robot for one of them is, is not going to be enough. Um, and I, I think also, I think also for practical implications, you know, I know that that the focus of RoboKind is specifically for children with autism, but, you know, what I love about 
talking to, to you and to other people doing interesting things in the field is that we're starting to really open ourselves up to thinking about the best way to teach everybody. And for somebody who's That's not on the exactly. spectrum, who just has a different learning style, sometimes working with a robot is going to do it for them. So I, I love that this technology mm-hmm. is getting more and more used um, throughout the country and the world. So really, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for sharing it with us. I'll encourage our listeners one more time to go get more information at robots for the number 4 autismcom And there are some great videos where you can see students really lighting up and enjoying the instructional time in the classroom and Milo's right there on their desk. Thank you, Eliza. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. It's really exciting. So hopefully we can follow up at some point and learn more. Um, and uh, But best of luck as you expand this throughout the world and, and uh, keep up the great work. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. This is 1 in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski. And remember, Anderson cares. You've been listening to One in 59, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. Join us for another edition of the show at the same time next week. 